How much caffeine do you have? Rarely. Uh, on days that I work, I drink about one cup of coffee and that's it. Oh, like eight ounces? Uh, yeah, uh, might be 10. Okay. Eight to 10. That's, a, that's about what I drink. It's a healthy amount. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> that's it because I don't need any more. I just need a little bit of get up in the morning. Yeah. Or like today after a workout, hard workout. Yeah, what kind of workouts do you do? Football. <laughs> or I just go to the gym and just do traditional strength cardio, strength okay. training and cardio. I don't, it's nothing formal okay um but uh yeah now um we are recording just so you know perfect yeah i just wanted to ease right into it so tell me about yourself you mentioned football so let's go with that first uh perfect but first tell me about you are you from lansing uh no but both my parents are dewitt graduates uh born raised dewitt graduated in 73 i believe my dad was recruited by bo schembechler years and years ago um, most people should know that name. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately couldn't fulfill that commitment cause he got an injury that prevented him from playing football his senior oh. year. Um, but he's gone into ministry. He's been in ministry for since 1977. So 45 years, um, faithfully wow. at it. Uh, phenomenal, phenomenal man. Um, you know, it, uh, he's, 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 he and my mom are the reason and my wife are really the, kind of the people that are the reason I'm where I am today. Um, he's a great dude. So that's, uh, so he grew up in, or he grew up in DeWitt, but he took a ministry position. He ended up being the Dean of Men and Dean of Bible at Christian college for 30 years down in Northwest Indiana. Mm. And it was just a small Christian college, uh, just for, um, you know, mainly just ministry purposes. We didn't have more than three, 400 students at a time. Wasn't huge. Um, so I grew up, it was part of a church of about seven, 800 in Northwest Indiana. It had a Christian school of about one fifty two hundred, and, um, they were, uh, small, too small to ever play football for me, uh, or for, or for our school. And it was always a first love of mine. I mean, when we were growing up, I have an older brother and, uh, we'd go drop mom off on Friday nights at the mall. We'd be out in the parking lot running routes against each <laughs> other, or we'd go to a football game and then get on the field afterwards. Like it was a big deal. And when the, you know, a couple of times growing up that we'd get a chance to go to a Michigan football game, we'd, you know, cause we're huge Michigan fans back then they had grass fields with painted on. We'd go to, we'd get on the field. And back then they used to let you on the field about an hour after the game when all the players are out, coaches are out. They'd let you on the field. You'd get on there. There'd probably be a hundred kids out there with their dads throwing the football around. And last thing we always did was uh, I'd say, dad, throw me a diver in the end zone, right? Because they had that blue, yellow paint and I'd go (laughs) dive. I didn't care about catching the ball, just dive on the paint, get, get that, get it on my jeans. And then going to school on Monday, oh, you know, showing them all. Cause my mom be like, oh, I'll throw those in the wash. And I'm like, nope, I wear them to school on Monday. Cause I had that maize and blue paint on them and show, kind of show it off a little bit. So football was always a first love of mine. I ended up, I played, I wrestled, played soccer, played college, or played basketball all the way through high school. And then I um, uh, got into college, played a little bit of college basketball. Uh, again, at that Christian college, it wasn't anything super cool. Um, uh, it was, but it wasn't anything like Michigan or big Ten right. school or something like that. But I always wanted to play football. So when I got out of there, uh, I married my wife, my dad had retired, moved back to DeWitt by then. And, uh, so I just followed, it was a natural progression. My entire family was here, convinced my wife to move up, marry me. And we were at a, um, somebody was throwing up a big open to the public, a big, uh, uh, October. It was in October, big, uh, uh, just fun day for families. And, uh, we ended up going there playing football. And one guy happened to mention, yeah, there's a semi-pro football in team in town. And, uh, you know, they're, you know, let anybody come play. This is back in 2011, 12 ish. So I looked him up and I 
was like, this is my opportunity to go play football. So I did in 2012, got a chance to do that. We came within four points of winning a conference championship. Wow. Uh, had fourth and goal from the four yard line, couldn't punch it in. So unfortunately, where but, did they play it? So now we play last year, we played at Rosedale park in Lansing before the year before that we played at hope sports complex this okay. year. We're trying to get to either Lansing, uh, Lansing Eastern or Lansing Everett. If we can't get, we're having a little bit of tough time of dealing with, uh, the, the schools communicating with them and getting, getting answers back from them. But if we can't play there, We'll end up uh, probably playing at Mac Goble Field in Charlotte, which mm. is a junior Orioles field. It's a really nice facility, um, really nice field. Uh, so we'll end up playing our home games there if we can't get Lansing Eastern, Lansing Everett on the docket. But so that was 2012. Um, uh, had a blast doing that. It was a great time. Uh, I ended up being the starting middle linebacker. Loved it. And uh, um, then I ended up starting a business in finance, uh, which if anybody that's ever done that, takes a lot of commitment in the first four, five, six years. So I had to put a lot of that to, to, to rest and really had no life outside of building a business for five or six years. Yeah. And uh, then um, a buddy of mine, a friend of mine who I worked with, came up to me and said about three years ago and said, hey, I'm going to pick it back up again. Or I'm going to go try because he didn't play in high school and he always regretted that. He's like, I just want to play one more year. So I was like, ah, that was the motivation I needed to get back at it. So about three years ago, <laughs> I started training again, getting back in shape. Um, you know, and, uh, ended up going back out. Um, and our, my first season playing again was 2020. We had a shortened season due to COVID. Um, but, uh, we ended up going undefeated. Um, and I uh, started at tight end and inside linebacker. We ended up going to undefeated, um, won our conference championship. I should have brought the ring. Um, but we got a big old, <laughs> really cool ring out of it That's and ended cool. up going to Florida to play for a national championship in February of 20, of last year, uh, kind of like a bowl game type scenario and, uh, got our tails handed to us. So <laughs> last year we played again, uh, um, um, we had a little bit of a split on our team. So we started our own Lansing lightning. I helped kind of organize, start, start and organize a new team. And, uh, last year we didn't go undefeated, but we were in the conference championship game lost by four points again. Wow. Um, but uh, you know, had a, it was it had a blast doing it, and it's a lot of fun. And if you don't know what semi pro is, it's basically seventh and eighth grade playbook uh, at a high school kind of level, uh, played by a bunch of guys over that are eighteen to forty eight. <laughs> so it's it's a little it's a little bit more than uh, it's kind of like glor- organized glorified pickup. <laughs> Um, and it's a lot of fun. It's entertaining. Uh, you know, um, you get your, we got a wide range of teams from guys that are just like, they just show up to games and, uh, you know, just do it for the, do it for fun. And you got guys or teams that, uh, they're, you know, disciplined and really on point and, uh, they're the ones that have the most success, but you know, they're, it's, it's competitive and it gets really fun out there. It can get really chippy, I can get a little, a little, little bit of smack talking, <laughs> a lot of smack talking, um, but uh, our goal is to represent Lansing well, and we've got a good young group of guys. Uh, last year, our starting quarterback, or our backup quarterback, who ended up becoming our starter, uh, was a 47-year-old quarterback. Wow. This episode is brought to you by Red Bike Delivery. This delivery service operates only using battery-powered, eco-friendly transportation. Red Bike Delivery is there for all your delivery needs, whether it's dinner for the family, flowers for your partner, or new house plants for your new collection. Red Bike Delivery will gladly deliver those and everything in between. 
So what are you waiting for? Check out Red Bike Delivery on Facebook or Instagram for more information. Red Bike Delivery, because there's only one Earth. Um, uh, police officer, um, you know, so he's in great shape, but uh, he was he was putting Tom Brady to shame. <laughs> Not quite, but we give him a little bit of a hard time for that. But it's, uh, you know, a lot of these guys are like 18 to 26. And in a way, I kind of see it also as a, as a little bit of a ministry because a lot of these kids, football needs, or they need football more than football needs them. Yeah. Gives them something to do, something to focus on, something to be proud of. Because a lot of these guys grew up without dads, grew up without, uh, you know, from broken homes. Um, you know, uh, uh, it's a sec- second opportunity. They didn't maybe get a scholarship mm-hmm. out of high school. Some of them should have or could have. Yeah. But a life circumstance or a personal issue kept the grades or something else kept them from doing it. Um, so they get another chance at it. We had Olivet college at our games, a few of our wow. games last week or last year, Scott scouting us. And I think a couple guys got, uh, got offers or, or conversations with people. We have one wow. guy that, um, uh, ended up playing for, uh, an arena team. Um, uh, the Western Michigan Ironman, I think it is got paid a little bit. He's very good, very talented, very humble kid. Uh, great kid deserves a shot at 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 some of that type of stuff. Um, so a lot of these kids and, and you know a lot of these guys, I, I love to you know just be around them. They're great guys. Uh, they deserve you know they deserve opportunities. Yeah. And uh, so we do our best to give it to them, and uh, we have a blast playing football together. Uh, some of these guys, some of these guys, I would never have met otherwise. And uh, I hope that uh, one of my hopes is that I can be a good influence on them. Uh, be there for them. I'm kind of helping, giving some pointers to one of our guys who's starting a business in 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 the restaurant industry. Oh, cool! So That's trying to help, cool. trying to help him there. Um, and uh, you know, he's got a lot of great great ideas. Um, just needs a little bit of you know uh, encouragement, so to speak. Um, yeah, and a little guidance. Really, a lot of these guys just need just need somebody to just encourage them, um, and 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 to to go after life and go after their passions and dreams. So, yeah, I mean. As long as you work hard, right, and you believe in yourself, anything's possible. Like you may even fail, but that's it's not a complete failure if you learn something. Correct. So, correct. And I used to be a, so afraid of failure. Yeah, me too. I, I, I hate failing, and I still hate failing. Um, it's been it's taken a lot to 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 change my mind, so to speak, on on failing and, and not getting things done right or well. Yeah. Um. And, uh, but I t- I'm trying to teach my daughter, uh, who's seven, that it's okay to lose and it's okay to fail. The, you, you I have a really good friend of mine, Brock. Uh, he, um, he has a great quote. He, he'd said, uh, I either win or I learn. The only failure is to not win from a failure mm-hmm. or to not learn from a failure. So either he, you win or you learn. What can you, what can you take away and improve out of that failure? And then it's, then it's not a failure. The only failure is to just leave it alone and not change anything and, and go on without without correcting any issues that you need to correct. So I think that that's um, that's a, that's really an important lesson. So, you know, how to how do we how do we um, bounce back from from struggles is, is really the key to that. Yeah. You got to have what I call uh, Rocky Balboa syndrome. Mm, yeah. Uh, the you know, it doesn't matter how many times you get punched. You got to get back off the mat. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like that with everything. By the way, I should I should say you should start a podcast. <laughs> You're really good at talking. Uh, I, I haven't said that. I haven't said anything yet. <laughs> uh, well, if there's one thing people know about me, I can talk. Um, I enjoy talking. So. Yeah, I think you'd I think you'd have a really good podcast. 
Oh, I, I used to, uh, um, through our business before COVID, we were doing something similar with business owners, just ha- having them in because I'm the vice president of business planning at uh, my firm, um, Castle Financial Partners. And uh, we were doing kind of trying to focus spotlights, business spotlight on, on people about once a month. But uh, COVID came and we obviously yeah. couldn't do much of that. So. Yeah, it's, it, it made everything difficult. I mean, unless you wanted to do it online, right? Like a Zoom or something. Yeah, and, uh, you know, nobody wants to jump on one more Zoom. <laughs> no, no, no. Although I do have people who are like, can we do it over Zoom? And I'm like, do we have to? I'd, I'd rather do it in person. I'd rather sit across Agreed. from you and, and have a discussion and see your face, like shake your hand. Agreed. Meet you. Get a get a, get a better vibe. I, I I totally agree. There's, you know, 83% of communication is nonverbal. Yeah, yeah. So you can get some of that off of Zoom, but not all of it. Yeah. Like I can see when you're uncomfortable or if I'd said something that might have triggered you, like it made you angry or you might not have liked something I said. I can see it in your face muscles. <laughs> I can see if you're judging me. Yeah. Yeah. I can't really see that on Zoom. There's a lens in between. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And I usually have a virtual background, so um, might might color wash some of that out a little bit too. Yeah. Yeah. Now, so aside from the semi-pro football, which is, very cool that you're you're doing that. Um, I do. You, well, first, I want to ask: Do you guys get a pretty big audience? Do you have a pretty large crowd that comes and watch watches the games? Um, it depends on your definition of large. Last year, I think we had on average for home games about two hundred, maybe two fifty. Okay, well, that's pretty big. Yeah, um, but uh, it's semi-pro is kind of one of those. It's kind of like the underground back in the day, right? You know, yeah. unless you're in it, you don't, unless you're involved in it or know somebody that's directly involved in it, you know nothing about it. To yeah. as, a, as a great point, two summers ago, we were playing at a, a field in Detroit and I was going to walk to, there was a team, two teams playing before us. I was going to walk to the restroom and gentleman pulled me aside and said, hey, uh, what is going on here? What's this football I see? I'm like, oh, this is semi-pro football. Have you ever heard of it? He goes, no, I've never heard of it. He was the coach, head coach of Detroit Cast Technical High School football team, wow. which for those that don't know is a premier football school in de- not only Detroit, but in the state of Michigan. They send talent to Division One schools all the time. Yeah. And he had no clue about the semi-pro football in Michigan. Wow. There's probably 20 to 30 teams in the state of Michigan alone. Wow. That is so crazy. Yeah. Why is it so unknown? Because uh, unless you're involved, we don't get TV promotion. People, we do it for the love of the game and the love of yeah. the, the brotherhood and the sport. Right? But it, it almost seems like people should be picking people up from like like high school people who maybe wouldn't make it to college and on a scholarship. We we right? do, yeah. Uh, we we've got some. If if people are plugged into like the Lansing area, you would know some of the names that we have on our team from five, six, seven, eight, nine years ago. Wow. Uh, we have a, a, a two years ago. I played with a, a young man um, uh, by the name of Malik who took Sexton or Everett to the state championship game. I believe it was, or deep into the at least deep into the playoffs. Wow. And uh, if if you know him, he, he now he's playing semi pro football. Wow! Um, you know, That's so, so we've we've got some we've got some big boys that are you know athletic tackles. Uh, you know that played are well known in the land would be well known in the Lansing inner city type schools. A couple from East Lansing, um, Waverly. Uh, as is a matter of fact, our head coach for our team is um, 
uh, one of the coaches for East Lansing High School football. Oh wow! He's up for he's he's petitioning or interviewing for the Waverly head high school football coach job. Wow! Um, so is there's it, is that something you get paid for? No, no, you just do it for the sheer love of it. As a matter of fact, we have to pay to play, uh, <laughs> so we have a player fee that takes care of covers because again, we're not super popular, so we try to get some uh, sponsorships. Raise some money. That like way. local sponsors? Local sponsorships, et cetera. You know, restaurants, uh, you know, T-shirt places, graphic places. Just try to get some sponsorships, get some name out there um, to cover some of the costs. And then we have a charge a player fee. And then players also have to outfit themselves with their own equipment, helmet, shoulder pads, cleats, wow. anything else that you want. That's got to be expensive. It can get expensive. I mean, yeah. you know, most of them you can. So I when I picked it back up again a few years ago, uh, I spent, I think, Four hundred dollars, five hundred dollars on equipment just to make just to have it. But then once you have it, you have y- it. You have most of it until your cleats yeah. fall out from underneath you or your gloves. <laughs> I have right. to get a new pair of gloves every every season because they lose their stickiness. Right. Um. But uh, no, it's 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 a, it's a blast. And like I said, we do it for the love of the game. It's just uh, our assistant football coach uh, is uh, he says football football is like cocaine. <laughs> it's hard to quit it. <laughs> And he's right, because, you know, I'm in my mid-30s now. Yeah. Uh, I can't keep playing inside linebacker forever. Yeah. Um, You know, and uh, tight end's a little easier. Um, But, uh, you know, at some point I'm going to have to – my body's just not going to be able to do it. And um, Have to pick up the cocaine. Yeah, I have to put the cocaine (laughs) away. And so I just, you know – but I can already tell. Like I've told my wife this probably my last year. You probably and say that every year, don't you? No, no, I didn't, have not said that every year. Um, <laughs> not pull, trying not to pull a Brett Favre here. Trying to be smart <laughs> about it. But I, you know, every practice I go to, I just have a blast. It's a great yeah. stress reliever. It's a great way to uh, exercise. Like I enjoy three hours of practice. Nobody likes. Very few humans enjoy three hours at the gym. Yeah, yeah, right. But I burn. You know, if we have pads on. And we're going full till most of the practice. I burned 2,500, 3,000 calories in a practice. I believe it. Like, I believe that. Why? Where else am I? I'm not going to come close to that in a gym and have and have that much fun doing no, it. No, absolutely not. There And, and uh, you know, if you play it on a sports team ever, there's um, there's that brother, that locker room brotherhood. Yeah. You know, I missed that in college from co- when I played in college. And when I picked it back up again, I, 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 can't, I told my wife, I was like, I came for the football. I'm staying for the, 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 the brotherhood. Like there's a lot of these, like I'd go, I'd, I'd do a lot of things for some of these guys that I wouldn't do for my own family. Um, it's kind of interesting too, because a lot of you guys come from different backgrounds and different uh, economical backgrounds, everything. It's a, we are a very, very, but the game diverse. unites you. Correct. We're very diverse. Matter of fact, uh, uh, I'm in the minority as a, as a white guy, I'm in the minority there. Um, and it's, but, it's a blast. Like we have guys that are professionals. We have guys that are, uh, you know, came from, you know, we have a, a young man on our team that, uh, lost both his mom and his dad at an early age. Wow. Um, but he's, he's actually doing really well for himself, all things considered. Um, so there's, there's a lot of, a lot of these kids that, uh, I call them kids cause they're mostly 18 to 26. Yeah. Um, I think I'm like the third oldest guy in the team. <laughs> How old are you? You said you're in your thirties. I'm 34, be 35 in August. Okay. So it, um, but it, it's, uh, it's a blast. Like I said, it's, it, uh, there's a lot of things that I would do for these guys that I wouldn't do for, for my own, some, some people in my own family even. Yeah. Um, 
but I've, I've loaned some of these or not loaned. I've just given some of these guys money cause they were hard on times. I, you know, supported some of their businesses trying to help them get started. Um, but, uh, there's just, like you said, there's the, the game is what brings us together. And I, I wish society would find ways to do more of this kind of thing. It, it'd be great. Yeah, especially in today's day and age with the divide in politics. And we always get so wrapped up in ideologies and, and we let that separate us from us as individuals. Yeah. Which, uh, if, if you don't mind, just a friendly reminder to everybody out there that this is an election year. So we're going to, they're going to intentionally divide us again. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and I used to be super political and now I can't stand it. <laughs> um, just because it, it, it divides you know, all these memes. I mean, yeah. I heard about the 2016 election. There was a company that was creating memes for both the Clinton campaign and the Trump campaign. And if that doesn't tell you the state of our politics, yeah. I don't know what it does. Right. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. It's bizarre. And it's kind of crazy, too, because even if you decide that you want to have a conversation with somebody who other people don't necessarily agree with, then you're labeled as the other. And that just creates another sense of divide for everybody. Correct, which is their intent. Yeah. Which is their intent. Like, uh, So in the business I'm in, I, I meet lots of very diverse people. Um. And uh, I've come to the conclusion that it doesn't really matter what you believe. I'm going to still care about you. Yeah. That's what we need to get to. Um, didn't intend to talk about politics today. No, but, uh, we don't need to. Uh, you know, I just, I, I, I hope that we understand that the, these memes that are being shared are come, come from, you know, they're come from a place of intending, intending to divide, intending to yeah. in- invoke a strong emotion um, to either get you to support them or hate the other mm-hmm. one of the two. Yeah. Absolutely. Now let's talk a little bit about your business. What made you start your business and why would you want to work in the financial department? (laughs) (laughs) That's a great question. Uh, So um, my degree is in ministry. I thought I'd follow a little bit of my dad's football football, or in my dad's footsteps. Um, And uh, I I just really have always enjoyed working with people. And so when I was decided I wasn't going to teach anymore, I was like, well, what am I going to do? And what, if I'm not going to go into ministry full time, what am I going to do? What I'm sorry, real quick. What kind of ministry, um, did you grow up in? So I grew up in, uh, or what kind of religion? So I grew up independent fundamental Baptist. Oh, okay. So Um, did I. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Did I say that out loud? No, you're good. I, uh, I talk about it all the time. So Uh, probably could commiserate a lot about that, but we're not here for that. No. Um, my actually my the church I grew up at ended up being the subject of uh, ABC 2020 and CNN interviews years ago mm. about in 20 I think it was 2011 that they they did they were very militaristic yeah um in their approach uh, to put it to put it this way I have a buddy that's uh in, in the army and uh, that I grew up with one of the few guys I still talk to and uh, he's in the army he's been in for about 15 years. He's been in Afghanistan several times. He um, he was about to go to Army or Green Beret or whatever to, to start that kind of training, get into that program, and uh, they wouldn't let him in due to some medical issues. And so then he's like, oh, I'm going to go fly a helicopter. Anyhow, long story short, he said, um, I asked him, like, hey, relative to the practices and, and things that they put us through in high school and junior high, like some of that stupid stuff that they used to do to us, what, you know, what, how is it, what's the Army like compared to that? He goes, I ain't done nothing in the army that's as hard as what we had to go through in high school. Wow. Uh, and so that just kind of gives you a little bit of perspective. They were very emotionally, physically, and spiritually abusive, although they never laid a hand on us themselves. It was always done through 
military exercises. You uh, went to a, a Christian school. Yeah, it was part of the church. So it was wow. an independent Baptist, you know, school. Um, that was here in Michigan? No, that was in Northwest Indiana. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's right. Um, and so they they were very, very abusive that way. Um, like, you could never do anything right. Um, they, uh, uh, um, I'll give you a Do quick, you mind saying the name of the school? Do you know? Uh, I prefer not. Yeah. Just to, because I know. So my brother went to a, I'm sorry, my brother went to a, a college there. Do they have a college too? They do. Yeah, my brother went to a college in Indiana, Northwoods. What's that? Hiles Anderson? No. It was, uh, I think, Northwoods. Okay. Yeah. I think that's what it's called. No, that wasn't ours. Yeah, but it was pretty much the same thing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so. so, you know, they, like, uh, one of my friends, when we were in eighth grade or ninth grade, we were on a trip out out east. And um, unfortunately, uh, you know, he was just, he's a typical, you know, eighth grade knucklehead, you know, just immature. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, leaving stuff for lying around, just doing some um, crazy, you know, just being immature, right? It wasn't being wrong. He just was immature. Yeah. So they came to him. They said, hey, this is about four days in. He, they go, hey, you, you, you leave your stuff. You're responsible. You leave your stuff lying around again one more time. We're going to punish you in some sort of way. Okay. Next day, left his driver's light or his uh, photo ID laying around somewhere. Right. So somebody picked it up, turned it in. They're like, oh, well, you're irresponsible. We're going to teach you. So we had a hundred people on this trip, 50 guys. They made him, we were in a, we were staying in a, uh, at a Christian school in, in Maryland. They had a large gym is where the guys were staying. So they had him line up and he had to run through a gauntlet of us guys swinging belts at him down and back. What? And some of my friends bragged about swinging buckle out. He had welts on his oh. back and his legs for, and then they put him on a bus and sent him home. Because he was irresponsible and immature and couldn't handle it. One of my friend, one of my other friends, again, we were all eighth grade, ninth grade kid, punk kids. We didn't know what we were doing. We're just, just this was, for all we knew, this was normal. Yeah. So uh, he didn't. He was wearing sweatpants that day, so he didn't have a belt. So one of the teachers was like, "Ah, oh, oh, you don't have that. Oh, I'll give you mine." Like all proud of it, and uh, like that was the kind of thing that they, they did. Um, those are the kind of things that they uh, ended up kind of CNN and ABC 2020 uncovered and did some specials on them. But, um, so that kind of thing, uh, was, it creates a very toxic environment, creates a very, uh, uh, emotionally abusive environment. So yeah. it was very difficult. A lot of us that, you know, when we got into our twenties, it hit us like a ton of bricks myself personally. Yeah. That's, um, uh, that, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt, but that's one thing that I struggled with when I became uh, an adult, you know, I moved out when I was 17 years old, but from that age till I'd say like 20, even when I had my first kid, like prior to that, um, I was just trying to figure life out, trying mm -hmm. to figure out who I was and what was right and what was wrong. Um, because the things that they, my, my upbringing wasn't as strict as that and as crazy as that, but you know, I'm sure in some of the same aspects, they share a lot of the same ideologies. And so like my, my thoughts on things and my opinions on things were all biased as to what they had taught me growing up. Mm -hmm. So when I, you know, was on my own, I had to figure things out for myself and it was very difficult, very confusing. Yeah. Um, not only that, it was for, for us, it was, um, traumatic. Yeah. Very. Um, it, you know, I, I've, I've spent since spent thousands of dollars on therapy with, with therapists and I, and, uh, it was even recommended that I go see a trauma therapist at one point. And uh, did you know followed up on that? I mean, 
and, and these people have no clue the kind of damage that they've done. Um, eventually that youth pastor became the pastor of the church, but he ended up, uh, he's had to leave the church just recently. Uh, as a matter of fact, within the last few months, uh, just due to some of the stuff that his own family was ended up going through, but they, they, they prided themselves on being so tough and raising tough kids. Mm. I mean, my junior high youth pastor had his, has hit, had his kid out doing heel toe knees on the mat and, you know, Jeez. wrestling stuff at two years old wow. and would get after him if he wasn't uh, doing it right. You know, you know, it's like eight thirty on a Sunday night and he's just having him do a discipline. You know, uh, he was bragging to my wife at one point several years ago. Um, yeah, my kids are like three, four, three, five, and seven. And my wife does none of the chores around the house. They do all the chores around the house. Like, like, okay, I don't mind them doing a few, but like the laundry, the dishes, yeah. mowing the yard, like a little young, but they thought it was like big, bra- you know, it was Take like a pride in Yeah, you. it was yeah. like big bravado to them. Like, ah, oh, you know, I'm training tough kids. And now their kids are struggling. And now their kids are, you know, several of them were actually uh, about a year ago caught doing, uh, stealing thousands, tens of thousands of dollars worth of stuff on a trip in Florida from NASA and a few other places oh down there. Gosh. <laughs> and their kids, their own kids are kind of rebelling in a way. Yeah. Um, so kind of tie it all back. Like for me, when I, uh, you know, coming up through that, it was very, you know, traumatic. Um, it wasn't super bad until my dad kind of they did a very good job of keeping stuff away my dad was part of my part of the college he didn't really have anything to do with the youth stuff so he wasn't aware of that and they did a really good job of keeping us under wraps of telling us like well what's, what goes on with us stays here don't tell your parents you know wow. we were all afraid of them so we didn't we right. didn't want to say anything about it right uh, to our parents so it didn't come out till years later some of these things that were going on and my dad got wind of it. He went and had a basically a come to Jesus meeting with him. This was uh, Christmas 2006. Uh, my older brother was, they, they were torturous to him, uh, just torturous. Um, and uh, he, uh, here's a quick story. In seventh grade, they were on a trip out west to the Grand Canyon, climbing the Grand Canyon, doing some other fun things out there. And uh, he had struggles with wetting the bed at night. So my mom tucked some, uh, um, uh, uh, what they call those pull-ups or whatever for, you know, mm-hmm. to, she knew if they ever found out it would be, it would be terrible. Uh, so she tucked him like deep in a sleeping bag so he could, you know, wear them at night and save some embarrassment and, and be able to like discard them discreetly the next day. Well, somehow they found out. Oh my God. They just ridiculed him all day, made him wear a pacifier around. What? Oh yeah. Ridiculed him to no extent. Uh, he ended up getting locked, thrown into in a dumpster and getting locked in it for a while. What? Yeah, just this, you know, for for nothing that he can really control. It's just a medical thing. Yeah. Um, but they're you know trying to be teach him to be a man, supposedly. So wow. none of my dad did not know any of that until years later. And when he found that out, he's like, "We're having a come to Jesus meeting." My brother lived in California at the time. Flew him back. They had a four hour long conversation with the leadership, with the head pastor and the youth pastor. Head pastor didn't really know much about it. The youth pastor did, uh, but he was trying to save his hide. He wasn't going to admit to anything. Yeah. Um. So basically the end of that conversation was, uh, yeah, we're not changing. And, uh, you know, how dare, you know, how dare you called my dad in the next day. Uh, and my dad was like, well, maybe he's had a heart change of heart on some of this. He ripped my dad a new one. Like you wouldn't believe like, how dare you challenge authority? How dare you attack authority? This is ungodly, yada, yada, yada. My dad spent 30 years there. He's the Dean of men. Dean of Bible has his PhD in theology there. He was, he was, he had several pastors tell me he was the reason they sent his, they sent their kids that wanted to be in ministry to the school Wow! to to get trained under him, to, to learn from him. And, uh, 
So my dad went back to his, he left that, he left his office, went back to his office, like, I can't do this anymore. Walked out, went to his office again, said, I'm done. I'll finish the year, but I'm done. And uh, they uh, they actually said, um, uh, they came back to him. He had a had pastor, had a conversation with the deacons, came back to him thir- that Sunday and said, hey, we want you out before students come back after Christmas break. So that was like December 18th. We had to be out of our place that we had. That was the only place I had ever lived. We had a gorgeous apartment on a beautiful, nice little pond. We called it a lake, but it was a large pond, mm-hmm. small lake, uh, and um, uh, gorgeous apartment. We had been there for 20 years. So we had to leave. I, in hindsight, knowing what I know now, I should never have stuck around. But at the time, it was all I knew. And I knew two things when, when my dad left. When my dad was going to leave, I knew two, they were going to do two things. I knew that they were going to try to destroy his name. Uh, and he had a great reputation amongst the people there. There's a lot of great people there. But they, I knew they were going to try to destroy his name. And I knew that they would. Um, and my, I was dating my, my wife, now my wife, my girlfriend at the time. And so I was like, I'm, I'm going to stick around for two years of her I was a sophomore in college at the time so and I figured out how to I, I took enough credits early so I graduated semester early so I could get out of there a little bit faster wow. and I'll never forget to tie this all back to kind of what we're talking about how did I get here I'll never forget December 19th 2008 it was my last day there I finished my classes I was done I was getting out of there and I get in my car and I drive I was coming home to Michigan and I remember thinking all right I'm done. I don't have to ever go back to this place. And uh, I thought, okay, by the time I get home, I'll, I'll be able to uh, it'll just all that stress, all that tension, all that pressure is now finally gone. Cause they made my life, forgive the expression, but they literally made my life a living hell for two years, the two years between my dad left and the time that I was still there. They, they, they tried to get me to leave without kicking me out. They were looking for reasons to kick me out. I had to, I had to, they went to my wife multiple times, told her I was a terrible guy. They went to my father-in-law who's, you know, not my father-in-law at the time, but they went to him multiple times telling him I'm a terrible guy, made up lies about me. Like I believe in betrothal or had no choice in dating my daughter and dating my wife that uh, my dad had picked her out for me. You know, just anything called me out from the pulpit a few times. One time went in the lunchroom and just blasted me about something stupid. And then the guy came and apologized to me or didn't apologize, but came in. It's like, oh yeah, well that wasn't that big of a deal, I guess. When he found out what actually happened uh, on a on a on a story, um, that was after you know didn't didn't apologize, didn't you know go tell yeah. everybody in the lunchroom that he just blasted me to, you know, apologize, you know, just crazy things like that. I remember thinking on December nineteenth, like, all right, when I get home, by the time I get home, all that stress, tension, and pressure will be gone, <laughs> and it wasn't, and it wasn't six months later. And those six months, that was the deepest, darkest depression. Like I barely left my house. Wow. I and I didn't know it was depression at the time. But you know, a couple months into it, I'm like, something's going on. I got to figure this out. But it was it was a tough, tough time of depression. But God sent a couple of people in my life, uh, my pastor, and then another ministry uh, friend of mine, um, and uh, uh, there another friend of mine that I met through a ministry that I went on, and basically recorrected and reguided basically otherwise I'd have, I'd, have, I'd have turned out like loony really loony some people say I'm loony now <laughs> you don't seem loony at all <laughs> but uh there so it was like it really it it's taken years to just even get past a lot of that and there's yeah. still you know there's still scars that that sit on you um so there's a lot of that 
how that I've you, had overcome. How did you not lose faith in the religion and being a part of Christianity? So I mean, that that came into play from the ministry friend that or the friend that I met that that, that uh, became he's become a good friend. Um, so about so that was December of two thousand eight. For the next six months, um, I struggled with that. But my pastor, my current pastor, is my pastor at the time, the church we moved to in DeWitt, he knew a guy by the name of Jim Van Geldren who had a youth ministry. It's phenomenal. It's a phenomenal ministry. It goes across the country and works in Christian schools for a week. And then they, they you know, preach and teach in the Christian school on st- stuff that teenagers need to hear about. You know, stop messing around. Stop, you know, listen to your parents. Your parents know a lot more than you, you think they do. Stop being stupid and doing stupid stuff. Um and uh, then we also do uh, uh, rallies on a couple of nights a week for, you know, to reach out to the community. And so um, he, my pastor knows, is really good friends with that man. So he's like, hey, David, here's, I want you to do this. I want you to go on this trip. And he knew a little bit of what I had gone through. And he was hoping um, that that was, that that would give me a way out, so to speak. And it did. It's, it, I tell him it literally saved my life. Uh, from a, from just crashing and burning and all that, because like yeah. you said, I was I was wondering, I had questions on a lot of things. I remember bawling in college in my dorm room. God, take this pain away, give me an answer. Can you get these people to stop being stupid? And none of that really happened, because um, people still have a choice and they can choose to be stupid. Uh, and so when I went on that trip, it really allowed me to inundate myself into um, hearing that God cares about me. God has a plan for me. And if I just trust him and follow through on that and do my part, he'll carry out his part. And he has sense. And there was, and it just kind of gave me, it was, it was basically, I just was able to immerse in it. And I went on that trip thinking I was going to be a help to a bunch of other people mm-hmm. across the country on that yeah. trip. And I, I think I was, um, I'd like to think I was, but it was bigger looking back. It was bigger for me than it was for those other people. And the uh, impact of it. Correct. Yeah. And, and so like, I just, um, and I'm still, I just had breakfast with him, uh, that, that man, he was in the area. So I had breakfast with him, you know, uh, about a month ago and I just reiterated, I'm like, listen, brother Jim, you, you have no idea. Um, like I appreciate you because that saved my life. I would not be where I am today with the construct and, 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 and without a lot of the same, um, uh, not holes, but damage done. Like it was able to get me back on track with life, so to speak. And, uh, I was like, I, I, you have no idea how much I appreciate that. And he goes, yep. I remember. And I remember the conversation he was referring to because the first day I got there to go on the trip, I was like, listen, I just want you to know where I'm at. This is where I'm struggling. He goes, I remember that. And from the first, from that time of the conversation in August of, of 2009 to, you know, February or March, whenever we were, we finished in 2010, Said, I remember from 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 that time to that time was a, was a, a very different David, uh, and uh, in a in a great way. I knew you could. I knew you were struggling, but uh, you responded really well, and I'm very proud of you. So wow, that's. I think it's important to tell people who have helped you along the way that what they did was had a huge impact on your life. A thousand percent, and and even more so. I take it a step further and just say, tell people that that you are around, that you appreciate them and care about them. Cause I was, you know, um, uh, we, we, people hear a lot of the negative all the time. 
people, we, we as people are not afraid to share negative news about other people. Yeah. We love that. Yeah. As a matter of fact, so we easy. thrive on that. Right. It's fun. <laughs> but rarely do we ever say to somebody, Hey, I appreciate you. And just yeah. being a friend, I just want you to know, I care about you. Love you. Yeah. Any of that. Um, and so, you know, I think that's, it's important just to even share positive things about people. Yeah. Um, so I guess out of a lot of all of that, I've, you know, gotten to a point where I'm at in my life where kind of what we're referring to about, you know, with, with the political conversation earlier is like, I, you know, I care less what you believe. I care more how you treat people. Yeah, absolutely. If, if we can, we can have massive disagreements on, on things, but if you care about people and you're working to help people, um, then we can be on the, then we can be on the same team for a bit. Especially because you're not going to change people's opinions. They're, you're not going to change people's political views. You might be able to change somebody's religious views, um, you know, whether they believe in God or not, just based on, like, teaching them. But as far as, like, people having opinions about things, you're not going to change. So there's no sense of arguing and debating those things. You might as well just agree on the things that you can agree on and get along. I, I actually find... So I'm, I'm, I'm the kind of guy that I'm not afraid to have, I'm not afraid to talk and yeah. I'm not afraid to have conversations with people. Yeah. Um, and I try to keep it non-emotional or less emotional so that, you know, but I like to, I like to understand. Mm. And so I'll pick people's brains and ask questions. I'm the guy, uh, you know, when I go yeah. to conferences after about a day or two, they just put the microphone at my table cause I'm, <laughs> you know, they just know I'm asking, I'm the one asking the, ca- I'm going to ask questions at yeah. some point. Um, so I, I like to understand. And so I, I love to question people from a perspective of like, Hey, I'm not trying to judge. You. I just want to know what, what, what is it? Well, that, that was the believe, first thing you did as soon as you came in here. You're like, so why are you doing this? <laughs> yeah. I just like to know, like what, what yeah. I like to, I like to learn about people and what's going on. And if there's a way I can be an encouragement, let's, let's, I'd be happy to do that. Yeah. Um, so well, I, it's good to be curious. And that's, I think that's a problem. People aren't curious. They, they may act like they're curious, but they're curious because they want to prove a point, their point. Mm-hmm. Like they're asking you what your thoughts are on this. That way they can tell you their thoughts. Yeah. And I think we need more of that. I think, but you have to be able to not get emotionally attached yeah. to it. Yeah. You have to be able to hear hard things or things that you disagree with. Um, but I think it was, there's an old Aristotle or Socrates quote i'm gonna butcher it but it basically the ultimate sign of intelligence is the ability to entertain a thought without accepting it as fact Mm. and i think we miss a lot of that in our society of hey okay here's a thought would you at least consider it whether it might be true if there's some part of it true what's what's true what's not i think that's just missing just from general everyday life of hey it's not always black and white it's you know you can share a meme and there might be some truth to that meme, but, but there might be some truth to a different side of it as well. Yeah. Right. They, and the two can coexist. Yeah. It's like, how do you find that balance? Right. Like that. Like, so seek to understand, try to understand, be curious. Um, like you said, I think that's just something that we should do more as a society. Yeah, absolutely. We definitely don't do that enough. And I think it's so easy to get into these echo chambers on, on social media. When you see a meme that you agree with, Oh yeah, check yep, this out. Yep. I do it all the time. I'm like, that's a funny meme. I, you know, and then I share it or whatever, but it's so easy to do that. Um, now let's get back into your story a little uh, bit. Yeah. Uh, what, <laughs> where did the financial business come from? We kind of got away from that. Yeah, we did. So all that com- comes into play. And, and so I was um, teaching and I decided I didn't want to be teaching. Didn't decide ministry wasn't the avenue I was going to go down. 
full time, <laughs> although I still do a lot of the same ministries at our church. I just don't do get you, paid for it. Do you practice the same uh, religion, independent fundamental Baptist? Uh, so, no, <laughs> um, but I still go to an independent fundamental Baptist church. Okay. But so that's a great question. I, so let's put it this way. I don't believe in religion. Mm. I believe in a relationship with God. I think religion is man's attempt to organize yeah, God. That's the same as political, or organize political views. Right. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of truth in a lot of places. Uh, I don't think every place has a lockdown on the entire truth. Um, but you know, we go to a, a, the church we go to because our church loves us and our pastor has done a lot of bent over backwards to demonstrate God's love toward us and rally the church around us many times when we needed it and rallies the church around people as they need it, which is exactly what I think a church should do. It's it, it, basically, we go to the church we go to because it's the type of church that I think a church should be. Okay. Um, it just happens to be an independent fundamental Baptist church. Yeah. Um, but it's not one of those that is up there banging on the pulpit, you know, yelling at you, you know, from the pulpit telling you, you can't do this. You can't do this. You can't do this. Yeah. Um, and, uh, he really allows us to have the freedom to, you know, to, to like, he's, he's told me, listen, we may disagree on how to apply certain parts of scripture, but you're in charge of your house. I'm in charge of mine. And that's fine. You do your best to follow. My job is to, is to direct you toward God, challenge you when you need to challenge it. But your job is to listen and, and follow God ultimately. So, um, when I was, when I was deciding what avenue to go down or well, then when I was decided I wasn't going to go into teaching or ministry, I was, what am I going to do? And I just came to the conclusion. I love working with people. I've always wanted to run a business and finance has always intrigued me. So I was like, without knowing anything about finance, like, let's go do that. You didn't study it in college or anything? <laughs> no, not even <laughs> oh close. It was all, it was all my degrees in theology. So, uh, wow. you know, it was all Bible based, um, which is fine. But what I've really come to come to realize in as a financial planner is that um, half of what I do is therapy or ministry in a, in a way. It's um, making for you or others for for two for my clients. Okay, it's uh, you know, hey, am I going to have enough to retire? What do I need to do to be able to retire? Hey, the economy's really going crazy right now. Am I going to be okay? How do I set myself up to be okay? I had a conversation with a client last week, and she's like. When she walked into it, she had an army full list full of a page full of questions. And, uh, you know, it's like, all right, let's just go through them. Forget about what the return on your portfolios are. Forget about what kind of insurance coverages you have. Let's just talk about what you need to talk about. And so we did. We just went step by step. And I said, at the end of the conversation, when we were all said and done an hour later, I said, listen, how do you feel now about where you're at? And she goes, I actually feel really good. I need to talk to you more often. I said, <laughs> yes, here's why you feel good because this is the plan we have in place. This is the, these are the things that we we put in place and here's why. And this is how it helps in these kind of situations. And uh, she was like, yep, I, I just was getting concerned because my friend over here happened to hit it big on crypto and my friend over here, uh, you know, is big into real estate and I feel like I'm behind and the economy is going crazy. What do I do? And I was like, listen, it doesn't matter. Any, every, anybody else just let's focus on you what can you control what do you what are the resources you have and how do we best position them for the life that you want turns out she texted me the next day that friend that was like hit it big on crypto then lost <laughs> never <laughs> talked about the loss like he, uh, he hit it big in like december or whatever and then lost a lot of it and she's like well I'm, she's like well maybe 
maybe I'm, I'm like, yep, that's the thing. Nobody loves to talk about their losses. Mm. So I said, so, I, you know, at the end of the conversation, I'm like, listen, she's like, I feel like I'm in a therapist's office. I'm like, <laughs> yep. And do did we accomplish what you came here to accomplish? She's like, yep. I feel like I know what my future looks like. And, uh, like I'm on track and I'm actually more on track than I thought I was I'm like, yes, you are. That's awesome. I know that, um, my wife and I had a really bad experience at a tax place. Um, two years ago, we were getting our taxes done and we didn't understand something. My wife was asking a question and the guy like tried breaking it down, but he wasn't breaking it down very well. And so he, she asked for him to re-explain it. And he said, do you want me to get some crayons and paper and draw it for you? Oh my word. And you know, she obviously was like, she stood up for herself and, uh, um, you know, told her, told him that, you know, she didn't appreciate it. And that, um, you know, she just wanted him to explain it a little bit better. And then he just kind of walked away and everybody else in the office laughed. They thought it was funny. And, uh, he later on apologized, but it was like, why would you talk to your clients that way? Insane. Yeah. Like when you're dealing with people's financial like business, they want, they want to be assured that you know what you're doing and that you can explain it to them in a very simplified way. Very, very much so. And man, I, Feel like I want to apologize on behalf of that guy to you. Um, we we since then left. We we never went back. But uh, I yeah, can't believe that uh, that I can, I I cannot fathom. That. But it goes to the kind of what we uh, a little bit of what we talking about. People people want just help. They want to yeah. know. They want help. They want education. They want to know what's going on. Yeah. They want to know that they're gonna be okay. Yeah. And people care less about the return on their money. Yeah. Than no. they do about am I gonna be okay? Right. Um. You know, so they want somebody who knows what they're doing and can explain it to them. Like, correct. I, like if you were doing my taxes and I didn't understand something, I would expect you to be like, Hey, you know, this is what's going on. Like you don't need to draw, draw a picture. <laughs> but so I bring a lot of my teacher's heart, my ministry heart to my business. Uh, and, uh, so I think a lot of our clients feel that too. Yeah. In the sense of, you know, we're going to do whatever we can to make you feel okay. That's that's our end goal. We want you to sleep peacefully at night and know that your vision is going to become a reality within reason. I can't make <laughs> right. you a millionaire overnight or anything like that. I don't have that right. kind of thing. Like I'm not the kind of guy that, you know, portfolios matter, ma portfolio management matters, uh, str str strategy matters, tax matters. Uh, but uh, at the end of the day, none of that makes any difference unless they know, unless they know everything's going to be okay. Yeah. And so I bring a lot of explanation and and teaching um, behind why I do what I or why I rec why we're recommending certain things, and uh, give the you know just so people understand. And sometimes I go a little. I think I can over talk it. Yeah. Um. So I've I've learned to ask. Hey, I'm going to recommend this. I'm give you a little bit little bit of why if you want to go deeper i'm happy to do that yeah because i can go deep all day yeah. you'll well, just waste your time <laughs> right well i just want that i don't want to waste their time if they're right. comfortable like right. hey let's go i don't want to go past that point yeah um but if they need more i'm happy to give it to them what kind of things do you does your business focus on do you focus on taxes do you do everything so i don't focus on taxes um so i'm a financial planner right and i'm the vice president of business planning at my firm so what that means is a lot of my clients are business owners and there's a, a big need for business planning. And by that, I don't mean 401k man, 401ks or, you know, group benefits. Those are important and we can do those and we do work on those kind of things. But what I mean by that is I answer questions for business owners like, how am I going to take my business and turn it into my retirement income? 
how do I get out of my business successfully and get the, as, as much value out of it as possible? How do I hand it off to the next generation if we're doing that or to key employees that are going to take it over? How do I do do that without saddling them with as much uh, overhead or debt as as there is little debt as possible for them. Uh, you know, how do I make sure that my key people remain loyal to me and don't want to leave and go work somewhere else? How do I reward them successfully in unique, creative ways that uh, uh, recognizes their their contributions and, and uh, status in, in the company? Um, what's the value of my company? A lot of business owners either don't know or overestimate it a lot of times. Mm. So that's important to know. And that's often where we'll start is, okay, let's get an informal valuation done. We'll take care of that for you. Um, and, uh, okay, here's how it fits into your, you know, here's everything that we need to know. Here's how this fits into your picture. Here's what we need from it. And here's the kind of planning that we need to do to get from here to there. Uh, so that's part of it. Then I also do a lot of personal planning as well. A lot of business owner clients are both personal and business clients. Um, and from there again, all, all at the end of the day, it's how do we give you as much peace of mind as possible knowing that. So I take time to really understand people's vision. I'll spend an hour and a half, sometimes two hours just sitting in a first conversation with people, just sitting down. Hey, let's, let's go through, um, you know, just tell me, just asking them questions. What do you want out of life? What do you want life to look like? What does money mean to you? How, how do you plan on using money? Uh, you know, what do you, what are the things you need money for in the future? What are the things that you want that we're going to have to have some sort of financial resources for? What do we do? You know, if something happened to you, how do you want your family to be able to, to your family dynamic to look financially? You know, just get, just ask them some of those fun questions um, of, Hey, uh, you know what they want in life. Sometimes they've never even, a lot of times they've never been asked these questions many times, not even thought of some of them. And it's just taking that time to get down and, and then come back. Okay. Here's what you've done as progress toward that. Here's what we can use and then come back and say, all right, so now that we know this, here's some things that we can change up a little bit or add to this or tweak this a little bit. And then we're going to walk you through implementing it and make sure that we're around for, you know, if you want us to, for as long as you want us to be. How did uh, you learn all this? Uh, self-study over the last 10 years. Uh, so yeah, I dove in, started a business and had no clue what I was doing. <laughs> uh, so I spent my first six, six and a half, seven years at Northwestern Mutual, which is a Fortune 100 company. And they did a really good job of making resources available to me to learn. Okay. And so I, my wife will tell you, I dropped her off at, at work because at the time we only had one car. So I would drop her off. She taught daycare uh, or taught at preschool. So I'd drop her off at 7 in the morning, 7.15 in the morning, show up at the office at 7.30. I'd work. She'd take the uh, Clinton County Transit home uh, about 1, 2 wow. o'clock in the afternoon. I would uh, work till about 7, 8 at night, uh, come home, eat dinner with her. Uh, and then, uh, I'd get to work again. I'd, I'd, I'd do some work from home and then about 10 o'clock I'd shut it down and then, uh, you know, wake up, go to bed or I'd spend about an hour just chilling, wake up or go to bed about 11, wake up, do it all again the next day. Wow. Um, and, uh, then a little bit on the weekends too. So, and then evenings is when I would spend some time studying, you know, getting caught up. Okay. What, what, what do I do in these situations? And a lot of times it's more of a, uh, you know, here's a unique scenario, uh, with a client or a potential client. Okay. Here, you know, what would I, what do I need to do? What would I recommend? What did, here's what they need. So then I, you know, pick people's brains, call up an advanced planning department, you know, get ideas and then come back to them. So a little bit of, it was, it's a very much, and when you get in this world, it's very much learning on the job. I could imagine. 
are there other business financial businesses in the area that kind of do the same thing you're doing or is this something that you've figured out works best for your clients and that you just practice practice uh, it this way everybody does um everybody does some sort of something that i do somebody else does but it's very few advisors do it the way that i do it you seem like more passionate than what most financial places are like you seem pretty passionate about people i love yeah and that's the at the end of the day that's this is the that's the greatest part of what i get to do i get to be with people because i think that's the most intimidating thing about dealing with finances with other other businesses you know when you go into a business and you take them your financial information Mm -hmm. you almost feel like you're less than in Mm -hmm. a sense and that they're they're kind of above you and you feel awkward and it's not judged judged. yeah yeah it's not it's not comfortable uh i i would not disagree with that (laughs) um i haven't met with a lot of other financial advisors for those purposes for obvious reasons because i run my own stuff but um i i think there's a lot of truth in what you say in 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 that a a lot of advisors are more salesy than they are strategic Mm. and and there was a study done I had a business coach or I had a, a coach back about seven, eight years ago. She's a phenomenal lady. Um, she was a life coach as, as well as a coach to advisors. And she kind of helped me get past some of the physical trauma from some of the s- stories mm-hmm. earlier. Um, she taught me something called the shakes, which I won't get into, but it's basically, it's called trauma releasing exercises. Shake. Shake yourself, right? Yeah. Yeah. Trauma. You ever, you've heard of trauma releasing exercises? Yeah. I was talking to somebody about it on the podcast once. Yeah. Yeah. I'm telling you, if you've ever gone through something traumatic, you need to go look that up. I'm not going to explain it now. Um, but, uh, it's, it's a phenomenal thing that helps your body heal and get past a lot of that kind of stuff. But, uh, she all, she shared with me, she had to had me take a a certain type of test called the Kobe a test put out by, uh, I think it's by a lady by the name of Brene Brown. Um, test your cognitive ability or how best you take action and uh she had done a study or related to a study that 90 percent of advisors essentially are kind of like quick start or salesy kind of guys um and but i was not one of those and so it kind of gave me um hope because in the early years of my career and i just was struggling because i like to go deep but in all the processes and all the the incentivization are designed for people that move through through people quickly. And I'm right. not one of those guys. Right. Uh, it hurts me when somebody doesn't want to work with me anymore. Like I, I thought I imagine. last week, I thought I messed up on a, a client called me and said, Hey, there's something going on here. Uh, something's wrong with some money that we have. And uh, I just want to know what's going on. And I looked and I'm like, Oh my word, did I mess this up? And I uh, come to find out it was uh, 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 something that had happened before I got there. And, uh, but I lost sleep over it last week. Like I, I, I didn't sleep one night cause I'm like, did I, did I mess this <laughs> up? How bad, you know, I'm a terrible human being, you know, all those if thoughts. If you do mix or mess something up, how do you, how do you fix that? Uh, there's a lot of protocols in place, uh, that, uh, will prevent a lot of those kind of mistakes, accidental mistakes. We are so heavily regulated in our, in, in my industry. I could imagine, uh, like everything has to go through a compliance team. And you have to fill out, we have to fill out reports of if somebody wanted to, to move money from their IRA somewhere else to me, I have to fill out at least two different forms, both of both of which are basically saying the same thing. Why are we moving it? 
Why is it in their best interest? What are we moving it from and to? Why is that okay and in their best interest? Wow. And I have to submit all that paperwork and basically have to, you know, prove to them that I'm doing this in their best interest, submit it all to them. If they don't like it, they can reject it. Wow. And uh um and so I submit it to them, then they look through it and they say, Okay, this is this is within the limits or this is within reason. This is a good idea, we'll we'll allow it to go through. And so then that's so I have to get a lot of things approved ahead of time. So it's almost like a safety net in a, in a sense to make sure that if you're correct. not, you're not going to mess up somebody's financial information. Correct. So it, business too much. Correct. So there's, there's a lot of, a lot of protocols in place to, to basically not allow me to be a Bernie Madoff. Right. So I'm not, I don't like all the, cause it creates a lot of extra work and paperwork for us. But uh, at the end of the day, it's for the client, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, confident confidentiality and client confidence. Yeah. So, I don't mind it from that perspective. It's, it's good for the consumer. Um, but it does, it is, we are very heavily regulated on that. So for me, when I was starting out trying to be, you know, I couldn't, I was not good at moving through people quickly. Um, so she said, she, when I, she she comes to me, she's like, Hey, this is going to be very helpful to you. And, uh, she said, uh, you're in the like eight or 9% of advisors that are very good at going deep with people. So what you really need to do, is create your own systems and processes. Throw all that stuff that they're teaching <laughs> out the window and start over again. Wow. You d- best take action when you understand things very well and then can go take action. You're going to be a slow mover, but you're going to be a powerful mover. And I found that to be very, very true. I was always, I was never, I was never top in my office for qual- for quantity. Mm. But I've always been top in my office for quantity or quality. Uh, and so that's what I focus on with people is like how we the kind of people that I work really well with are people that just want somebody to come alongside them, know what they're talking about, educate them, be available to them to help answer questions, just help them make sure that they life goes the way that they want it to. Yeah. Do you have other uh, employees? So I share an assistant with um, a colleague in my office. Okay. Right now that's where we're at. Hopefully, um, in the next you know few years keep adding to that we have a, a young firm uh so um the guy that founded my firm is david norris he left uh principal the principal office he was managing director over there for quite a number of years and i was at northwestern mutual and he had a vision for starting his own firm basically allowing advisors to do what advisors do best and that is work with clients the way they feel they need to be worked with mm-hmm. You get in these Fortune 100, Fortune 500 firms like Principal and Northwestern Mutual, Mass Mutual, some of these places. It's not that they're bad, they all, but they all have a niche product that they're very good at, and that's yeah. what they really want you to push. Uh, for Northwestern Mutual, it's whole life insurance. Mass Mutual, similar whole life insurance. Principal, it's 401ks or you know certain types of investment management. So they really incentivize around those kind of things. So if you if you um, if you feel like, hey, I need to engage my client this way. Um, they're like, well, you can do that, but we really don't want you to. We want you to do it this way. Uh-huh. So I ended up leaving Northwestern Mutual a little over three years ago. Part of the reason, a large part of the reason, was uh, I wanted to engage my clients in a way that allowed me to take my time with them, mm-hmm. be compensated for that time, but not necessarily um, uh, be compensated for that time, but in a way that allowed me to come alongside them and put me on the same side of the table with them, rather than it feel like hey, we're on the opposite side of the table arguing over whether or not this is a good idea. Right. And they were like, yeah, no, uh, we'll let you do that, but here's all the requirements you have to hit in order for you to do that, and we really don't want you to do that. Oh, so gosh. 
so to get into that program, I had to, you know, get a couple of designations, you know, have certain production quotas and pay a every when once I got into the program, I had to pay a large, massive fee every year just to be in the program. Wow. Right. Basically, they were saying, hey, we'll allow you to, but we really don't want you to. So right. I was like, well, I had some other local drama in our local office. That I was just like. Uh, when Castle came along and uh, wanted me to come over and kind of head up their business planning side of the firm, I was like, this is a good opportunity. I'm going to go join them. That was a little over three years ago. And then COVID hit, kind of delayed some of our plans. But um, our goal is basically to allow our advisors to engage the clients in the way the client needs to be engaged. And uh, there's we got several advisors, and we all have a little bit different niche. We all, uh, you know, engage people a little bit different way and we're all supported in the way that we can engage them. So it's, it's really a lot of fun. That's awesome. That's awesome. I I love a business that is willing to kind of tailor their, the way they do things based on the customer because, or client, Mm -hmm. um, because I mean, that's something that's lacking in, you know, today is they, these companies want to just have this one for all, shoe size that fits everybody cookie cutter yeah, yeah it doesn't fit everybody for a business model at the lart when you're a large company you kind of have to be that way yeah. yeah but as an advisor i need to be i should be able to come along and say well this company's good at this but not this so i'm gonna go yeah. get the the thing that they're not good at over here at this company that does it better right and that's really what clients need yeah is there anything else you want to touch on? We've been going for over an hour. Yeah, uh, this is this. I'm I'm happy. Ask me a question. I'll I'll go as long as you need. <laughs> um, you get, you kind of can make up your own hours, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, that's I awesome. do make up my own hours. That's nice. That's the one thing. That's one reason why I want to start a business because um, I want to be able to like just work whenever I want. Not work whenever I want, but you know, like if I have something I need to go do, I can go do it and just work my schedule around it. Yeah. So I, I, I had a friend that went from working, a, uh, um, he was in, he's in the, um, construction industry, uh, but he worked for a company that was a supplier and he was the GM local GM for, uh, you know, one of their, or their, he was the GM for their local, um, supply office. And, uh, then he started a business and, or joined a guy that was, had already started a business a couple of years ago and they're just going to expand it. And I'm like, ah, that's great. You know, the beauty of being in a business owner, is that uh, uh, it's not that you lurk, work less hours. Yeah, it's you're working you, more. You're, you're working, <laughs> or for his, in his instance, it's probably about the same. Working, you're either working more or the same. But the beauty of it is that you get to set what hours you want to work. Yeah, or you or you can work. Yeah, right. So tonight, my daughter has baseball practice. I'm a coach. I'm going. I'm going to be there from six to seven, and I'm going. I get to. I get to do that, and then I just whatever if i would say it was you know during the day or whatever i just postpone whatever i can work on till later tonight or something else yeah so that's the beauty of being a business owner is it's not that you work less yeah it's just that you get to choose what hours you do work do you find that it's harder to keep a workflow balance with life uh it's like for me this podcast is not a business mm-hmm. but i would eventually like it to be a business of some sort you know um you and joe rogan yeah yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> um, but the thing is, is like for me, I'm always doing podcasts, like whether I'm interviewing or I'm uploading an episode, typing up descriptions, I'm always thinking about how I can like make it better, mm-hmm. constantly always working on it. Mm-hmm. But is, 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 is that how your business is when, when you go home, are you constantly wanting to work on it, make it better? Uh, in the early can years, you just leave it. No. 
No. But I had to. Yeah. So, you know, when I left Northwestern Mutual and came to Castle Financial um, uh, three years ago, one of the beautiful things is that it, it I was working less and getting the same amount of work done. I just it just was a natural cause of processes and systems. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I really enjoyed that. And it gave me a chance to breathe again because I wasn't really getting a chance to breathe. Yeah. And so, but yes, now I'm able to last few years, just like, okay, how can I tweak this? What do I do better with that? How do I get in front of, how do I get in front of more people to help with, you know, less, less time or commitment? Um, so in, in my world, it's a, it's, it is a kind of a, cool thing because we also are governed a little bit by business hours or trading hours yeah so most people unlike real estate agents where people expect you to pick up on the weekends yeah uh you know nobody calls me on weekends that's nice yeah so <laughs> it's really nice because then evenings and weekends it's like okay during the day i get to work on the business or in the business evenings and weekends i work on the business yeah uh and doing the things around it but it's it's gotten to a point where it's a lot less than i, I it used to have to be that's awesome that's really awesome yeah. Yeah. I wish I had that. <laughs> That's one thing that kind of like, I, w- I wish I could start a business. I mean, this is obviously the insecurity of starting a business, mm-hmm. right? Where you have to kind of leave the, the security of having a good job and then go start that business. Mm-hmm. Because I wish I could work my job and have that security and start the business. But it's like, it's not, it's not possible. It's not possible to be well, successful. As a, as a financial guy, I'd, I'd, I'd tell people if you want to do that, start saving up six, eight months worth of yeah. uh, reserves yeah. before you go do it. <coughs> and then, uh, and then it'll give you six, eight months of, of runway to get your business right. off the ground. And in people that have done that, it makes a world of a difference. I could imagine. So it gives you that. Cause the, I will tell you from a guy who started a business and had no, uh, idea how much I was going to make or no idea as to what, you know, how I was going to keep my, my wife at the time, just my wife and I, uh, afloat financially, uh, not having money creates a lot of insecurity while you're trying to create security. Mm. And that just compounds on the negative effect of itself. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so yeah, it, 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 it scares you. Um, yeah. but, uh, if you can have that security, it, it frees you up to just be able to just go do the business without the emotional backpack so to speak weighing on you of hey if you don't do this then you're gonna get then you know how you're gonna be a terrible human or a terrible right. husband or a terrible dad because your family can't eat or whatever right um but thankfully uh you know god got us through a lot of a lot of tough times and we're in a situation where now we're growing growing well growing quickly and growing growing the right way and, and able to help uh, uh more people that's beautiful. I think we should end the podcast with that. Perfect. Uh, you were a great guest. I wish I could talk to you longer because there's so many different things. I, we didn't even touch on some of this stuff. I'm always happy to um, come back. I love talking. Yeah, let's let's have you come back. Um, I would love to talk more about uh, your past and your like growing up in the in the church and mm-hmm. all that stuff because I'm, I mean I never had to deal with the abuse part of it, like the physical abuse, but mm-hmm. definitely the emotional and mental abuse from it. So. Yeah, we'll have to talk about that sometime. All right. Well, thanks for being here. Absolutely. Appreciate it.